This program is presented by a community producer through Midland Community Television. The City of Midland and MCTV are not responsible for the content of the program. The views presented do not necessarily represent those of the City of Midland or MCTV. If you would like to produce your own program, contact MCTV at 837-3474 or access our website, cityofmidlandmi.gov slash MCTV. We hope you enjoy the following presentation. Hello everyone, welcome to Junior Doan's The Spark. I'm Junior Doan and thank you for joining us. My guest today is Indira Osvarek. Indira is co-founder of Global Compassion Incorporated, a nonprofit charity created to reach out to people burdened by poverty around the globe. So Indira, I'm really excited to hear about your charity focus. Tell us about it. So the charity is called Global Compassion Inc. Um, it started in 2006, uh, but before that, uh, for 10 years in the making, uh, not knowing it was going to be a charity. And uh, as uh, it started with sowing one seed of compassion in the lives of one lady in India. Uh, she was an orphan. She was in her 80s. And when we got married and I came to Midland, I told my husband, Ed, I said, we have to send her some money because she's old and she's an orphan. And so we sent money uh, for her. And then, then there were a couple of other orphan girls that were also, I knew, back then. And so they started asking for help. And it just, we were doing it as our own uh, to support. Uh, and then uh, soon it was more, more uh, requests were coming. And I had friends around me and they will, we will sit around the cup of tea and talk about what's going on. And they will ask me uh, what's going on. And I'll say, well, I'm doing this and this and this. And then they will say, oh, I'm going to, I can help you. And so I can help you. So my voice with Ed and just more voices joined, more hearts joined to do this. And, uh, but it was all unofficial. So for 10 years, we were just doing small, small projects, small help here and there, wherever, it, nothing specific. Uh, and then 2006, when more friends joined and there were some few donations were coming and so it was time to report and make it an official charity. And how did these first people find you, or how did you know about them? Uh, the 82-year-old orphan. It, it was, I worked in an orphanage in India uh, during my college days. And so those girls were in high school. When I came here, they were married and they had children. And they needed help with their education, the children's education, and they were asking me for help. Now tell me about your early life. You have quite an academic career. Um, how did you do that? My, my mother was always behind education. Uh, she could not go to school because in her days, girls were not allowed to do anything. And so my mother always wanted to make sure that uh, me being the youngest and my brothers, we will, we will have a sound education. And so, 
when I was doing my PhD and I did my PhD, I kind of dedicated to her and I said, after this, there is no degree. <laughs> <laughs> and she was very proud of it and she was touched and uh, she was very happy that. Uh, and you came here to do advanced post, research? Yes, I came to do postdoctoral research. And why did you choose America? All my colleagues in India come to America. They're all, they're, right now even they're in different labs. And so we all talk about it and then that's the next stage to do research <laughs> in America and I then see. go back or something like that. So I came to do and I thought, well, I'm going to discover something here which will help people in India. I see. And, so, and what was the focus of your postdoc research? Uh, I always worked in the field of immunology. So for my PhD, I worked in the area of one of the tropical diseases, filariasis, mm -hmm. uh, which was endemic in that area where I did it. Was, the place was called Mahatma Gandhi Institute of Medical Sciences. And so after that research, but before that, when I was in college, I wanted to become a doctor. And so uh, I could not get into the entrance exams. And so PhD was another option. And then I worked in the field of immunology and then when I came here, uh, I worked in breast cancer. And so all this time I thought I will come up with something because for filariasis there is no, there is no medicine. Um, and it's very hard to diagnose. Uh, the, it's a parasite. Oh. And it oh. comes only in the nighttime in your blood. Mm. And it's, it's carried through mosquitoes. And so it's very hard and there is no vaccine or nothing for that. And so I always thought I will come up with some vaccine for that. Uh, nothing happened there. Then I came here. I says, okay, I'm going to go to something for breast cancer. So uh, bottom line was always I wanted to come up with something which will help people. What did you mean you couldn't get into the exam? Oh, it, it was a hard, uh, hard taste, so I probably didn't prepare well. Oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, those, that so happens. The medical schools, yes. That, that really happens. And then you met Ed. Then I met Ed. And where did you meet Ed? <laughs> we met in Chicago. It was it is a it's kind of divine appointments. Oh, you don't I'm always interested in what happened. <laughs> I don't know. It looks like he liked me. <laughs> well, where did he find you on the street? No, no. We got into the conference. Kind of somehow he came from here and I came from there with some friends, uh, and then we met there. And uh, I went back and I told my boss that I think there is one guy who likes me. Oh. So, so my boss called and Ed and interviewed, and he says he's a nice guy. So, but anyway, how protective of him to do your he, boss? Yes, and he says if it doesn't work, you can always come back. Oh, how generous of him! Yes, were you inspired to do research in the area once you moved here? You know, uh, when I met Ed, there was a gap in my career. And if there was not that gap, I would not have probably married Ed or, but that was the perfect uh, opening where either I could get married or go to some other places and do research. Uh, but after coming here, uh, I just needed to take time because I thought now I have to think about what I want to do in my life. And Ed was very open to, instead of pushing me going to work, he says, you can take time and think what you want to do in life. And so beautiful. Yes. Generous. Yes. Very what generous. kinds of questions did you ask yourself when you were trying to figure out what you wanted to do in life at that period? I, I had I had absolutely no clue what was what I could do. And all I said, 
Midland is such a small place, and I'm like, Lord, why Midland? I, I cannot do anything here. Uh, and just a lot of cries about, why, about Midland. I said, there is nothing I can do. Uh, and I, somehow I was uh, not rushing to go to research. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought we just got married. I need to know him. Uh, I was a kind of a scientist, and I thought I was married to lab before that. <laughs> yes. And I don't know how it will work, because I will be again in the lab. And so I thought I'll take some time and see. Uh, so meanwhile, I wanted to uh, do, see the cancer patients. Because I did breast cancer research, I had never, whole my life, I had never seen a cancer person, patient. Hmm, hard in my to country, believe. Yes, yeah. hard to believe. In my country, never. And I was close to the medical schools, medical colleges. I, all the projects were in that area. Uh, but I had never heard or seen a cancer patient. And so I came here. And I al al always wanted to go and visit people in the hospital. Um, but in India, there, it was not possible. Um, first of all, there were no private rooms or anything. And you go more of a ward. More of a ward. And it, it, I thought it would have been very hard. So first thing I wanted to do was go and visit cancer patients here. Uh, and then I went to the hospital, and I saw one woman without hair mm. uh, sitting in the window. That was hard. That was very hard. Uh, but I still continued to work, uh, uh, volunteer there. I worked uh, volunteer on the cancer patient um, kind of that floor for 10 years. And what would you do as a volunteer? I just will go and visit with them, see what they need. If I should make something, how can, how, 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 how can I better. make them comfortable? Uh, sometimes they wanted to talk uh, and, um, or anything, or rub their feet sometimes, or tell them how to breathe, or uh, any, it will, it just whatever happened, just like to make them, make them feel better. So it opened your eyes to what they were experiencing and how they could differently be I don't say helped, but at least yes. met. Yes. Yes, where they wanted. Yes. You're a compassionate person yourself. We are all compassionate. It's a it's a virtue. Uh, it's it comes from God, divine. It's a compassion is a powerful force. Talk about that. Uh, in the sense that it motivates us to do something about it. Uh, you take action and do something about it. Sometimes we hear about it. Our heart, we feel bad about it, but then we don't do anything. And so like all these genes are activated in our body at certain time, uh, we need to activate that gene of compassion and love uh, in order to reach uh, and touch people. And it, they could be anywhere. And you can look into somebody's eyes, and you know what's going on. And all they need sometimes is a hug or a smile. How do you activate that sense of compassion? It seems like a lot of people have it in great amounts, small yeah. amounts, sometimes no amounts. It's visible. Yes. Uh, how, how does one bring a sense of compassion out in another or oneself if what's not drawn to you that? You just, you have to take action. Compassion requires action in order to activate it. And so we, no matter what, what small action you can take, just a little gesture smile, reach out, or say, how are you, or something like that. And then from there, um, the doors will open. If you have an intense desire to really touch people's lives, 
the doors will be opened for you. Talk to me more about that, the, the power of desire. Power of desire is, it's that, you know, you, you feel it, you see it, you feel it, and then you want to do something about it. And if you, you cannot rest unless you do something about it. It, it comes back and forth and you, you start thinking. As you start thinking and as you create that desire, as the intensity of your desire to reach out uh, magnifies, yes. so also your actions, you're motivated and you're taking actions, you're running out, you're doing things, you're talking and see how, how we can do this. Uh, you know, sometimes just getting the money for the drilling bore wells. Yes. Talk to me about that, what you told that me, where were is, the chili uh, You know, women in India, uh, in some remote villages, they have to walk for miles for, for water. Uh, anyone that is not clean water. What are the men doing? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, men don't, don't know how to get water, you know. <laughs> so, you know, it's the, since the time, olden times, women will carry their pots on their head and go for water and all that. So, uh, anyway, what um, this is, uh, the ch drilling the wells about reaching out to the women who have to walk uh, and spend so much time just getting water and they have to wait by the stream, they have to dig a small hole, and that they have to wait for the water to come in that hole, and they, de they have to scoop that water in their pot and then carry it home. Uh, Hardly seems like enough water no. for a family. No, uh, and it's a, it's a hard, hard life. It's a hard life. Uh, you know, glass of water, we hardly think about somebody can walk for five miles to get that glass of water, uh, and it's heartbreaking. And, I always feel bad because I'm surrounded here with all these freshwater lakes. I know. Largest in the world, and there are people in India or some villages, uh, and especially Were women. Were you born in one of these villages? I was born in one of the villages. Without water? No, we had always had water, <laughs> and we had servants to carry the water. I mean, they, I, we didn't have to go. They will bring the water. We, I always grew up with servants around me. so doing the chores or cleaning, cooking, and all those things, I never, they were not my favorite things to do. Right, you were doing studies. And I'm doing it, <laughs> now I <Still>. can do <laughs> Now I have learned to do those things. Um, oh. Serving, um, for all our fundraising dinners we cook. You talked once in something I read about, you started out as a researcher, yes. or a scientist, and then you became a servant. That's how I, I had to call myself. I mean, that's how probably. Uh, in the bigger <coughs> definition of words. In the big, bigger definition, that is what it Explain is. Explain what you were thinking. Never liked that? it. Doesn't like that title still. To be a servant, I'm learning to like it. Uh, but in India, I was being served. Um, right. Always. Yes. Uh, even small things, getting food on the table or somebody bringing me a cup of tea or something, I will just sit and it will come and then it will go. I, I won't even take my cup to the sink. I hear you. Uh, when I was doing my PhD, I had to cook for myself. So anyway, uh, and at home I never cooked. And so my mother thought. Um, <laughs> she needs my help. PhD. And in the lab, the uh, all the guys will always tease me. They, they'll say, when you get married, I think you're going to get beatings. 
They must have been Indian. In India, yeah, of course. <laughs> and that coming to America and getting married and all that, that was never, I mean, that dream was never into, into in my, yeah, into my consciousness or anywhere. Funny, when I think of being a servant, I think of, uh, in an American sense, yeah. or maybe just my personal one, I think of it as making things better for someone else or the project. Yeah, I, and that this is that that's how I I kind of come to a liking. But it, when you come from India, right, uh, you have to learn a different. I have to learn it a different way because I came. I didn't think I was doing. I'm going to do all these things here in this country. I mean, if I had a little notion about or a little glimpse of what I will be doing, I would have said no. No uh, to the experience. Yes, <laughs> 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 and I mean it uh, because it's. Um, when we had our first charity dinner was in 2009. Um, and we had sent invitation to 100 people. And I had no clue. And I called my friend who used to be my roommate in India. And I said, I need help. And she knew I need help. <laughs> right. And she lives in New Jersey. But she came to help. And she's coming every year because she really knew that I had no clue about cooking. And for 100 people, forget about oh, it. Yes. But anyway, so. Uh, but now, scientist and uh, intellectual writing paper, attending conferences, and uh, that role has changed into cooking, getting into the kitchen, uh, washing pots, and washes pots. Do you most miss of your them. former life or aspects of uh, it? Uh, no, not really. Uh, but when I go back, I go into that mode again Yes. very quickly. And I thought, now I'm doing something here. I will go and show and do something, but uh, it doesn't happen. But uh, um, now as I realize uh, what, when I wanted to help people, helping people was always, uh, as a growing up, uh, always I wanted to help people. Uh, and so that never changed. Uh, whether I, w I used to have a tree in our yard, and it will shed some fruits. Uh, and I will have these, and I was, I don't know, eight, seven, eight, whatever. I will have those fruits around and I will collect them and I will imagine there are people in need and I will play with them and I will help them. And so that was kind of my game uh, that later I realized when I formed the charity and it's like, where did this coming from now? And so that's what I thought. Uh, and uh, as a doctor, I wanted to help. As a scientist, I wanted to help. But it was always with my what I can do and intellectual, with my intellectual knowledge. So there was like a soul yearning yeah. from earliest times. Absolutely. Sort of a mission for absolutely. life. Absolutely, absolutely. That we believe that each soul has come with a purpose, with a purpose on this life to do what it was supposed to do. And do people know it at birth, or do they have to discover it? it oh. I think you have to discover, but from time to time, you're always feeling those glimpses or you get these notions, uh, and deep down in you, uh, it's there. So as a scientist, I was doing this, but I was always very frustrated because I knew it, it wasn't not, not going to go anywhere. Whether you come with a discovery or a research or something, it, the information is so small and so fragmented. So yes. when it comes to treating a whole person, it's impossible uh, to, to c come up with anything because there is so much involved in healing a person, just yes. your knowledge of you, know, you can come up with some drug or you can come up with some anything, uh, but it's, it's not going to 
heal. It may cure. How do you uh, integrate Ayurvedic medicine with Western now that you've experienced both? You know, th that is, we have to, we need both. Ayurvedic is, Ayurveda is all about prevention. It, there is wisdom. While sometimes in Western medicine, and we need it, we go too far where you, you want to see a disease, you want to see a tumor in order to make sure that there is a tumor. <laughs> Yeah. And then we can take care of it. But then Ayurveda says, don't go that far because coming back is very, maybe difficult. And it is difficult. And, and so there is so much wisdom uh, in that ancient uh, knowledge uh, that it's, it, it talks about having different people, different personalities, constitutions. We are all different. Uh, our diet is tailored, individual, what one person eats doesn't suit the other person, uh, and uh, so on. So let's talk about water. The West currently is obsessed right now with drinking a lot of water. Well, what is the Indian version of that? Do they okay. talk of? Oh, and just not just water, ice cold water. Yes. Now yes. we are going back away from global compassion now. <laughs> yes, that's all but, right. Um, ice cold water, you go through the rest, people don't know that ice cold water is so harmful for their bodies. One of the things that people are putting on weight is the ice cold water. So Ayurvedic doesn't emphasize? Does anything, Junia, uh, even without Ayurveda, ice cold water, your body is constantly maintaining a temperature, yes. constant temperature. Right. You're putting something, there is nothing ice cold in your body. Right all these chemical reactions, all those systems that are working, nobody's requiring ice. So you should drink something about 90 degrees. You should drink some, you should drink either warm water or, yeah. or you should drink some ice, just ta ta tap, tap water. And also when you drink and how you drink, especially why the kids are putting on so much weight, uh, you have pizza and you have a big Coke or whatever drink that is, and it's filled with ice. Yeah. And so nothing is helping with your digestion, and you're putting on weight, because your body is not able to digest. The excess water and cold water is putting up your digestive fire, that acid that right. the body is producing to digest. So people have no clue, no uh, understanding, and there is so much ignorance, and that is why uh, it's a sad, I cry. Um, what have you learned about working with Ed or a husband on a project? Does it change the relationship? <laughs> Sometimes he, uh, Ed is wonderful. Uh, okay, I always say if Ed wasn't my husband, there would have been no global compassion. Because? Because he's, he's so supportive. I mean, nobody would have given up after he retired. He thought we will travel, we'll have enough time for us to go do things. and. Uh, I think the charity started growing, and we have always commitment. I am always worried about how to raise funds, uh, and so, and then I give some yoga classes to raise money for also for charity Good for because you. there is no income coming after one fundra fundraising dinner. There is no money, and you do something locally too. You support some of the local. We have local. We have three outreach programs. One is low, uh, community outreach. Uh, another is India outreach. Uh, and then international 
which is India, but some Africa, uh, some students uh, from Africa that we are sponsoring with their education. And what, what do you do locally? Locally, we have, I used to go to the jail and I visited the girls every week for 13 years. You would go and visit with them? Every week. And just talk and see what, what's going on and just to give them hope, uh, bring more kind of almost holiness, God, uh, that they need to hang on something that to, to walk this walk because it's a difficult journey. And you know, it broke my heart because the girls are so beautiful and they're so young and they can do something in their life, you know. Uh, and, but then and I feel like, you know, I will feel like, what's wrong? But then when you understand the family is broken, or there's so much brokenness in the families. How that did you create trust when you first went in to talk with them? You know, you just, I, you know, trust is something, I don't know. I will be traveling in India in a bus, or I will be traveling somewhere, and people just want to talk with me. And they will talk everything, anything. Um, so that, that was always the case. And, uh, you know, you, you have to make them comfortable to to let them open up their, their lives. Uh, and I, I don't know how that, that happens, but uh, you know, sometimes people feel you are genuine, and I, I am always genuine. That um, is true. Uh, I appreciate that about you. Uh, I th I'm, I'm glad we talked about that as well, and thank you, Indira. So if you could just do something in your life that's based on compassion, that would be really wonderful, because the action creates more emphasis and desire and, um, what do I want to say, fortitude to do it. If you realize that everybody has a mission in life or a purpose for life, and this is a question you can ask yourself, because when you live in that space, if you make that connection, it's a more fruitful life. Also, this is a rare, wonderful relationship, male-female, bless your heart, um, and our relationships are the backbone of, of our community, and so, as you go through life, please find someone you can be kind to or charitable to or be a trustworthy person with because they need you. It may be just a smile and go out and do something kind for someone you know and someone you don't know every day. See you next time. Thank you for tuning in. It's my great pleasure always to have you in my life. And thank you, Indira. So glad I had the opportunity to talk to you and find out about the passion. Thank you, Jeanine. To contact Junia, send her an email at juniadonesthespark at gmail.com. For more information, program schedules, and news about future guests, go to www.juniadonethespark.com. Thank you for joining us. See you next time on Junia Dones the Spark. This program is presented by a community producer through Midland Community Television. The City of Midland and MCTV are not responsible for the content of the program. The views presented do not necessarily represent those of the City of Midland or MCTV. If you would like to produce your own program, contact MCTV at 837-3474. 
or access our website, cityofmidlandmi.gov mctv.